What's up, everyone? This is the Nuts and Bolts Podcast, and I am your host, the one Jamie here with our lovely co-host, Airball. Hey, everyone. And Michael Kritz. What it do. And we're here to give you the nuts and bolts of the standard and pioneer formats each and every week for your listening pleasure, and maybe you learn a thing or two along the way. But first, let me talk to you about the sponsor of this podcast, CoolStuffInc.com. Using code JAMES5, you can save 5% off of Anything in the store, sealed product, singles, anything you could ever need in Magic the Gathering, they have it. Go save yourself some hard-earned money and go to CoolStuffInc.com. But first, I mean, I guess second, we'll start off with our upkeep, which is the jargon of today's episode. This is Alpha Strike, which is a final all-out attack for a lethal amount of damage intended to win the game that turn. A keyword intended. I've seen a lot of alpha strikes actually not deal lethal damage. Um, I don't know if you, Airball, have done a lot of alpha strikes, though. I guess with a whole bunch of Shark Typhoon tokens. What does it, what does it mean to attack? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Why attack when you can draw cards? Yeah. Uh, usually what? my opponents just scoop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. I've, I've seen, uh, I mean, Michael Kritz, you probably have done some alpha strikes in your day. I have. I, you know, learning when to alpha strike is, is definitely uh, a, a difficult thing that I still am always trying to figure out how to do properly or well, or if I should alpha strike the ones with where you're not doing lethal, but you just need to attack all. So it's, uh, it's you know, alpha striking, there's a lot of hard lessons to be learned, for sure. The hardest lesson is when you get settled the wreckage and exit the match. Flip the table. Exit out of arena. Do what you gotta do. Mm-hmm. Do not alpha strike into a set of the wreckage. Mm-hmm. Or just don't play around it at all. Anyways, that's our upkeep today. Let's go ahead and go over what this episode is about in our main phase. It's called Paint It Black for a reason because not only is a mono red a topic of discussion, um, but it's an evil deck, but also we have another evil deck. The mono black going around, and also some black mid-range decks in Pioneer and Standard, featuring some new cards from the new set. So, we're going to go over some Pioneer tournaments first, go over a Pioneer challenge, we'll go over a little bit of Standard at the end, and then we're going to talk about what we would play going into this next week, on whether it's Arena, Standard, Pioneer, what would we play going into this next week, and hopefully you get some value out of that. Let's go ahead and get started in talking about a Pioneer tournament that I personally played in in my regional championship qualifier. I played Rakdos Midrange. I made the top eight, uh, which is pretty cool, uh, for the fourth time in a row. But I also did not win for the fourth time in a row. That's uh, that's a thing that happened. Played against one of my best matchups, Mono Red, in top eight. And I don't think I've ever lost against Mono Red in a tournament in person with Rakdos Midrange. And this is the time that, it, that I lost. Ember Cleave is a real card. I do want to let you folks know. Isn't that know. the most frustrating thing? <laughs> Isn't that the most frustrating thing? Losing to Mono Red when you have a good matchup against it? Oh my goodness, that is so feels frustrating. Good. I know. Oh, You're not allowed to say it feels good, Michael. I guess you are. <laughs> I play lots of Rakdos. What are you I've been disappointed by Rakdos a lot. I still rap the gang. Rakdos gang gang all day, so I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If, if, see, I just I needed to draw my third land, and I had like four turns in a row to do it, and I just could not draw my third land. Oh, it's frustrating. But anyways, I'll get them back next weekend, I guess. But anyways, let's go over the top eight of this tournament. 
There was two Rakdos midrange, one at me and one other person. Two Lotus Field, uh, up from one from last week. So Lotus Field is showing its showing its grasp a little bit more in these top eights. Uh, one Esper Grease Fang, one Mono Red, two Mono Green Devotion, one Mono Blue Spirits, and one Bant Spirits with Collected Company and Spellqueller and Friends. So looking at this top eight here, I'll start with Airball and go to Michael afterward. But is this kind of what you expected or is this a little bit surprising? I don't know. Let me know. Yeah, I think this is a little bit interesting. It, there's not a whole lot of blue-white control in this RCQ top eight. Um, there also wasn't a whole lot of blue-white control anywhere else in other recent Pioneer tournaments, at least not in the top eights. Um, it, it's interesting to me that, that's, uh, that that deck has fallen off so much. Rakdos, I guess, has the tools to deal with it now. Um, and uh, you can see Mono Green in the top eight, too, to try to prey on those Rakdos mid-range decks. So that, that at least makes some sense. Um, two Lotus Fields uh, are interesting, too. That deck sort of fell off the map for a little while. But it's, uh, it's interesting to see that come back. And maybe that means there's some hope for Blue-White Control, because I think that's traditionally a good matchup for us. Yeah, uh, I love seeing Rakdos in the top eights. That's, like, my favorite. Uh, and I'm curious to see, like, you know, uh, how Shieldred has kind of breathed some, or, you know, breathed some new life into the deck as far as, like, some part that's innovation and gives you some sort of um, inevitability once that's on the board and you can kind of keep it alive. So I think that's pretty solid because... Rakdos's traditional weakness is top decks, and Shieldred makes sure that their top decks are very painful. Um, we see the Lowe's field like you were speaking to. I don't know if it's more a reflection of your local meta, because I think you spoke into another Lotus field, another RCQ that you had. Um, and uh, like last week, I said that, you know, Lotus field is a deck check. Like it can crawl its way up to top eights and even win out outright tournaments if people are sleeping on Lotus field. Um, but if it, it if it is prepared for, then it usually ends up just tanking really quickly. Uh, the rest of the field, I, I feel like that's just um, pioneers diversity. Uh, the one Esper Grease Fang, one Mono Red, uh, the mo one Mono Blue Spirits, and the one Band Spirits. We spoke about the Mono Green Devotion. No surprise there, obviously. But the rest of the field is just kind of like that's pioneers di diversity. And any weekend, any of these decks can like win. So. Uh, it's not surprising to kind of actually see the you know the two top two kind of what I think strongest decks two Rakdos midrange two Mono Green Devotion in the top and then the two Lotus Fields like I said from last week I'm just gonna I don't not want to repeat what I've said so yeah the top eight yeah, it seems Sorry. good yeah um one yeah, James thing... uh, go ahead one <laughs> one thing I did want to mention for what you said about blue eye control is Lotus Field is a really good matchup against. Rakdos and Lotus Field against Mono Green is kind of like an arms race to who can combo first. And I think the presence of Rakdos and Mono Green being really good, at least favorable against Blue Light Control, means that Blue Light Control is a little bit less played, which opens the door for Lotus Field. But if Lotus Field does catch on a little bit more, it seems like it has. Maybe that's just my local metagame, or maybe that's just, maybe that's in general, just. If you're going to be able to combo turns four or five in mono green, what is better against no interaction other than Lotus Field? And Lotus Field is already good against Rakdos, so it just seems like a really good meta call. But if people are shifting towards that, then I can see blue eye control being good again. 
I do have a question for you about the Rakdos mid-range decks that are uh, here. Um, how many copies of Shield Druid? How many copies of Luliana? Or are they basically, you know, blasts from the past, the last format we had? I personally played two Liliana. The other person in top eight played three Liliana. I played no Shieldreds, and they also played no Shieldred. But they also... Why, did you, why didn't you play Shieldred? I didn't play Shieldred because I didn't think I needed it. I thought that Thorin the Mirthless was better. And it ended up being better in the Swiss rounds when I played against the Mirror. Shieldred's pretty good in the Mirror, too. But there's Fatal Push and Dreadbore in so many ways to deal with it. The 5 Toughness is pretty difficult because it dodges Blood Tide Harvester half the time and also dodges Chandra Torture Defiance's minus. So mm -hmm. the, the 5 Toughness is pretty good, but there's like so many copies of Dreadbore and Fatal Push and ways to deal with it that um, uh, I thought that Soren would be better. And Soren was very, very good for me hmm. over the week. Um, it was just a personal choice. I think it's personal preference whether one is better than the other. I personally think Soren's better. But I can definitely see if you made an argument for children being better. I can I can see that too. I I we we both weren't playing children. I, cool. I think quick quickly like if you're gonna have Liliana, I think it's it's wise to have um, it's wise to have Soren because you just right you're one for oneing, but you also need to just like draw cards, and it also kind of like maybe helps you filter or something to the effect of. But I'm still like really surprised that people are still including Liliana in their. Rakdos decks, because it just doesn't feel like uh, there's a home there, but if it's working, it's working. I would probably would rather personal choice have Shieldred over Liliana's in my deck, but uh, hey, you know, if it's working, it's yeah, working it, for you. It, yeah. It, was, it was really good for me. There was a period of time where I was super behind in the mirror match, and Soren plus, Sh I had Soren and Chandra on the board at the same time, after I finally took control of the board, and I got, I had Liliana as well, so I go Liliana minus, or draw a card for turn, play the card, Liliana minus, and then draw two extra cards every turn was just so, so powerful. Yeah. It's kind of cool that uh, you said the um, that your alternate choice to Shieldred was Sorin, because Shieldred is good in the games where life total matters, and Sorin is good in the games where it doesn't. And I guess you have to make a meta call about whether you think you're going to be up against decks that care about your life total, or their, or their life total, or decks that don't. Mm -hmm. That's also interesting, too, because I actually like Soren against decks that are trying to kill me, because your lifelink is amazing, mm -hmm. and you can you can minus it, block with a 2-3, and if it doesn't die or some or, or whatever, you can minus Soren again to kill the Soren, but now your 4-mana card made two 2-3 two, flying lifelinkers, yeah. which is really strong. I feel like most people I interact with, they're like, oh, Soren and your Rakdos deck. I'm like, I don't understand what you don't understand here, but lots of people are like to like hate on it. I'm just like, it's a good car. Like, it does things. It It's really good, actually. So It, it also does 13 damage and gains 13 life. Um, my opponent ha in, in that same matchup, at, in the same game, had to waste a Bone Crusher Giant stomp on my Soren just to make sure they didn't die to the... After, it, was just, it was just so much value. It was so um, anyways, not that not that this entire episode. I mean, I could talk about Rakdos for this entire episode, but that's not what this is about. <laughs> but um, I I can definitely see Blue Eye Control coming back into meta if Lotus Field popular over the next coming weeks. Um, but that's not the only tournament that we are going to cover. I do want to tell you the winner of that tournament was Mono Green. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not surprised about that. It's mm -mm. winning all over the place. Not surprised. Uh, happy that my friend was able to win with Mono Green. Not, not even the first one of my friends that played Mono Green just to win the event, and had to actually play a different deck. 
They usually play mono blue spirits, but they felt like winning, so they played mono green. <laughs> uh, but anyways, <laughs> anyways, I digress from that. Let's talk about the Pioneer Challenge that happened at uh, Magic Online. And uh, let's go ahead, if you're watching on YouTube, switch over to the actually look at this. Um, the uh, Pioneer Challenge was won by, you guessed it, Mono Green, of course. I think Nykthos is probably, it's probably the best card in the format. I mean, Thoughtseize is really good too. I mean, it's definitely top five in the format, Nykthos. And of course, you folks already know that listening to this, but I, 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 anyways, I, I'm just tired of this card winning and it just yeah. keeps winning. Um, that, that's what came in first place. If you're watching on YouTube there, you can actually look at the checklist. Uh, second place came a, looks like a, uh, it's a Grease Fang deck that plays one Liliana. It also plays a Tassiger the Golden Fang. It's your typical can't stay away with her Bloom Command, Grizzly Salvage, Asika's Chariot, Parhelion 2, uh, Sky Sovereign, Console Flagship. So that deck came in second place. Uh, we see Unlicensed Hearse in like every single sideboard. This deck was actually playing three Graveyard Trespasser in the sideboard. Very powerful card, of course. Uh, third place is probably the most interesting deck we'll talk about, and that is the Enigmatic Incarnation deck. <laughs> Five colors. It has a lot of cards that I probably don't have time to mention all of them, but now you have the added, if you listened to the episode last week, we talked about how Leyline Binding improved this deck. It has taken another another spot in a top eight of a Pioneer Tournament and that Leyline Binding can be sacrificed to the Enigmatic Incarnation to fetch up seven drops, and they've chosen Titan of Industry in the main deck and Agent of Treachery in the sideboard. So that this is a super interesting deck that has gotten more powerful. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk to get Airball's pers perspective on this deck from last week. So, uh, what do you think about this deck? I think this deck is so cool. <laughs> I think it's going to be such a pain to play against in paper with when you're tutoring stuff out every single turn. Um, but I think this deck is so cool. The the interaction between uh, Leyline Binding and Enigmatic Incarnation and Agent of Treachery is just too good not to play. Uh, I'm not sure it's actually great. I'm not sure it's actually going to win anything. But oh my god, is it not fun. Uh, I tried to build this deck in Explorer, uh, and I was ripping this uh, the Moto lists and trying to build it there. But like... Low key isn't how good a card is Nilia's presence in these domain lists. Like I don't think this card has a good replacement in Explorer. It's this uh, two mana aura enchantment, enchant land. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. Whatever enchanted land is every basic land type in addition to its other types. In other words, two mana you have maximum domain for everything for the rest of the game. Oh yes, definitely. That's the reason. The reason to play this card before the leyline binding even came out was so that you can fix your colors and you draw a card and it's an enchantment that you can sacrifice to fetch all of the three drops in your deck, whether you need to bounce something with Aether Chandler, whether you need Archon of Ameria against Mono Green, whether you need Callous Blood Mage to just make an extra blocker to live an extra turn against Mono Red, or maybe exile your opponent's graveyard to exile their Croxa or something. Glass Pool Mimic can copy anything out, anything that you have on board already. Bloom Shrieker can get something back out of the graveyard. Knight of Autumn uh, you can kill an artifact or enchantment, maybe a Fable of the Mirror Breaker that you need to get rid of because your opponent doesn't, you don't want them to filter two cards out of their hand. Um, Moon Bless Cleric so that you can search up extra copies of Enigmatic Incarnation, or if you need a removal spell, you can fetch up a Leyline Binding if you want to with Moon Bless Cleric. Uh, Renegade Rallier is really good in this deck, especially 
since this deck plays Trial of Ambition, which makes your opponent sacrifice a creature. If you play, if you have Trial of Ambition, they sacrifice a creature already, and then you play Enigmatic Incarnation, sacrifice Trial of Ambition to get Renegade Rallier. Renegade Rallier says, when it enters the battlefield, if a permanent you control left the battlefield this turn, return a permanent with mana value 2 or less from Grave to Battlefield, so you can just return the Trial of Ambition again and make your opponent sacrifice another creature. Um, Sky Cliff Apparition, if you want to deal with anything else. There's just so many cards in this deck that have so much value. It's like the ultimate toolbox deck. There's a Scarab God in there. There's a Tulsimir Friend of Wolves in there. There's a Yorian in the main deck. There's just everything. That has one extra addition that we haven't talked about is Sarah Paragon is in this deck as well. And this can just recycle all of your lands or enchantments that you've already sacrificed in a Matic Incarnation and bring them back to the battlefield. So just so many things you can do in this deck. It's just a matter of can you live long enough to do it all? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, this deck is really hard to evaluate because the only choice you get with Enigmatic Incarnation is what creature you're going to put into play. So even though the deck has a lot of answers in the form of enchantments, you only get to put the creature into play. And so it really comes down to me to how good those creatures are at answering the board states that you're likely to run into. And we're playing some some pretty poor magic cards otherwise, right? <laughs> like, normally you wouldn't see Knight of Autumn in the main deck. Normally you wouldn't see Tulsimir anywhere. Um, and we're not really cheating any of these big creatures like Titan of Industry into play. We're mostly playing them fairly because you need to play the high CMC enchantments and wait to get those into play uh, in order to get your big creatures into play too. So well, it really depends on how good that creature that toolbox one. is. I have to stop yeah, you sure. on that one because Playline Binding is usually always one mana in this deck. Uh, yes, it has... so that's the only way to cheat. Um, oh yes, and, and, and it's, it, yeah, it's the, it's the only way. To, it's the only way to cheat it out. But there's there's four Leyline Bindings in here. And you can even search up Leyline Binding with Moonbless Cleric if you already have Enigmatic Incarnation or Hardrew the Moonbless Cleric. There's just so many ways to get to it. One of my friends plays this deck, and he's winning a lot more with it now that Leyline Binding came out than he was before. Because it's just so easy to just fetch up things in this deck and search them out. Uh, it's, it's surprisingly way more consistent than you would think with all of these one-of creatures. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I was seeing all the one ofs. I'm like, mm, that's spicy. But you're just kind of looking at your creatures as they're like Airball said, like toolbox things, and then they're just ha they happen to be a creature on top of that. With like you know, some have more stuff than just ETBs. They you know they have things that they can do while they are just in the battlefield, and you go through phases. So yeah, and this deck I actually has the ultimate deck smoother of a card, Fable the Mirror Breaker, four copies. Yep. I told my friend to play four Fable the Mirror Breaker. He was kind of a little bit iffy on it. And I said, it's an enchantment and it smooths out your deck. Like, okay, you Hang have on. a point. He played one Fable the Mirror Breaker. I was like, you need to play yeah. four. And he upped it to two. He's like, oh yeah, this card's pretty good when I draw it. I was like, you need to play four. <laughs> and then he eventually played four and that's when he top aided. <laughs> I, I was can't like, believe. Okay. I can't believe someone considered playing less than four Fable <laughs> of the Mirror Breaker in a red deck. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So. It's really, really, really easy to get to your combo pieces and draws and your enigmatic incarnations and your fires of inventions when you have so much draw power in Omen of the Sea, Nalia's Presence. There's just so many ways to draw your cards, and it's pretty consistent more than you would think. So uh, outside of this deck, this deck did come in third place, I believe, which is pretty high up there for a tournament like this. We have fourth place, which is Mono Red, and we're going to talk about this for as a main part of today's episode. Uh, there's a, quite a few mono reds that have made it to top cut of these pioneer oh, tournaments yeah. and challenges and RCQs 
I didn't think they would be able to do it since there's so much Rakdos midrange, but when Rakdos midrange is a thing, that, that opens the door for combo decks, and what deck chews up combo decks? That would be your favorite, Mono Red. And I say your favorite because it's definitely not, but <laughs> let's go ahead and go over some cards in this deck and this specific build that came in fourth place. We have uh, Annex Harden in the Forge, Burning Tree Emissary, Eidolon of the Great Revel. You're, you're, you're probably like shivering, right, when I'm talking about these cards. Uh, four Fanatical Firebrand, three Karazev Skyship Raider, two Monastery Swiss Spear, two Torbrand Thane of Redfell, four Bone Crusher Giant, four Play with Fire, three Ember Cleave, and four Kumano Faces Kakazan, and 23 lands, including four Den of the Bugbear, two Castle Embereth, uh, two Raminap Ruins, and a Sokanzan Crucible of Defiance. So, um, I, I thought this deck had a very, really bad matchup against Rakdos, and it's squeaking in past them to the top eight. Uh, what's your evaluation on Mono Red right now? Uh, I like Mono Red. I really actually just like Mono Red in any format. Uh, I think it's a nice, like, deck check, uh, for decks to have early interaction and not to kind of just like fumble to their game plan. Um, so I, I actually really enjoy that mono red is a thing. And I've played mono red decks like on arena ladder when I'm just like, I just need to like get to mythic or whatever. <laughs> and I just need to like grind games and I, I just don't you know, brain, brain empty attack, uh, alpha strike. <laughs> alpha strike. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> uh, and you don't, there's not quite alpha striking. Like there's an Ember cleave alpha strike that just hit different. And so like, if you've never believed in the cleave and the cleave to believed in you, uh, Please just go out there and do it if you have access to it. It feels phenomenal. Um, Ember, I just love Embercleave. Just the 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 story behind the card, the art, the feeling of like it's like pure aggro in an artifact. It's just it feels so goddamn good. I'm not the biggest aggro head, but like sheesh, like you play Embercleave, you don't you don't feel right anymore. You gotta like sometimes you like itch for it sometimes. So I I, I dig it. Jesus, Michael. <laughs> I'm telling you, you gotta let the cleave wash over you. <laughs> Are we still talking about magic? Here? Oh, yeah. Magic? You know, I got this thing in my bedroom called the. No, you know, it's not the cleave. No, you know, we don't have to talk about that. We got a podcast record. It's a different sword, yeah. <laughs> it's a different sword. <laughs> anyway, my piece is said. I said it. Um. <laughs> Yeah. We're on topic, right? Um, We're on topic? We're on topic. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, 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 definitely. All right, Airball. We're talking about Mono Red. Uh, I, I don't know how I'm ever going to top that. Um, <laughs> I, I do think that what one thing that you should point out every time you talk about Mono Red and Pioneer is that there is really two main ways to uh, construct a deck, right? There's like this, this brand that runs um, the sword that's in Michael's bedroom. Uh, with <laughs> Torbran and Annex and, you know, big creatures. It's sort of like go big, mono red. And then there's like low to the ground, more prowessy stuff. Um, I'm looking at the rest of this and I don't see a whole lot of the latter. People are focusing more on the creature versions of mono red right now with the Embercleave, which is interesting because you'd think that would get blown out by the removal that's everywhere. But it is um, one of the best ways to get damage across if your opponent isn't interacting with you. And I guess that that was something that mono red ran into in this particular challenge. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, that's the way that I lost game one to Mono Red was they had an Annex. I knew they had an Embercleave. Because when they have an Annex, they have the Embercleave. Mm -hmm. You just know they have it. So I killed the Annex, and lo and behold, they had the second Annex. 
Uh, I couldn't out the second annex, but I gave myself maximum draws to get the Thought Seize because I just have to Thought Seize the Embercleave. No, they have it. It's their only card in hand. What more could they have besides Embercleave that they have not played already? And I cycled with the Blood Token to try to draw Thought Seize. I had one more black, my sweet, sweet black mana left over for my Thought Seize off the top, and it was a Sulfurous Mire. That's not a Thought Seize. And then I died to an annex plus Embercleave. You know. I think one good thing I actually like in this deck, because like the hits for your one drops aren't that many. I think you have the four fanaticals, you have the two monastery swift spheres, and then you have your like as far as permanents go, Kumano faces Kakazan. And like anytime I get to play like Mono Red and Pioneer and I am playing Kumano faces Kakazan, if I can like play it on turn one, it just feels so good. Like I'm just like, how do I lose? If I ever play two, like in a game, I'm like, you're buddy, I don't know, you're Dunzo. done. Like, you're done. It's it's so good. Like I don't it, it just it's 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 like very sneaky how good that card is. And if you can ever like really get that that card going, it's it's a good time. Yep, games one and two, they had turn one Kumano faces Kakazan into mm-hmm. turn two Burning Tree Emissary Karazev. And then mm-hmm. I said, Oh, okay. Um yeah. Alright, good luck in the top four. <laughs> yep. People are like, uh, you know, you're not supposed to turn one Kumano. I'm like, I turn one that shit, that thing, that, that thing pops <laughs> off. <laughs> All right, so we will get off the mono red topic for now. We'll probably revisit it, but there was a mono red that topped my tournament, and one that also topped this. So you ha- you must have this on your radar if you're going to play in a pioneer tournament. Let's go to fifth place. This deck is you guessed it, Lotus Field again. This is the third time, the third deck that has topped the tournament in Pioneer. Third time it's Lotus Field. We have Arboreal Grazer, Leer Disciple of the Drowned, Vizier of Tumbling Sands, which can untap, as a creature, can untap your Lotus Field, and also it cycles to untap your Lotus Field as well. We have a whole bunch of cards that filter through your deck and get back from the grave. Balgad Recovery, Behold the Beyond, a seven mana card that says discard your hand, search your library for three cards and put them on your hand, and then shuffle your library. So you just search for your Emergent Ultimatum or your Hidden Strings or whatever makes you more mana and untaps those Lotus Fields. Emergent Ultimatum to get to all of your pieces that you need. To eventually, I think this build specifically is playing a card in the sideboard that they search up. Approach of the Second Sun. They put it to the top. To the top. They cast it. Goes to the top seven of the deck. Then they cast Dig Through Time and get it to their hand, and then cast it again from hand with Omniscient Play. That's how they win the game. There's one copy of Inscribed Tablet in the deck, and I've never seen this card before, literally right now. It's a one-mana artifact that just came out. You can pay one and tap it and sacrifice it. Reveal the top five cards of your library. Put a land from among them in your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. If you didn't put a card in your hand this way, draw a card. So it's kind of like a chromatic spheres slash expedition map type card. But it doesn't actually search for the land. It searches your top five for a land. Uh, this, it's like a weird ponder. It, it's like it's almost. Yeah, it's like it's two mana to do it though. So it's like you know, it's it's not like amazing, but like maybe they needed like an extra copy of their land because they decided they wanted some more consistency in your combo deck. Who doesn't want more consistency, right? So this can add uh, a little bit of extra consistency to try to get to your Lotus field. But uh, th- we've already talked about this deck a little bit, and that's it. That that, that came in the top eight here. Casting Approach mm-hmm. of the Second Sun, 
or game. So you definitely have to keep that on your radar for tournaments coming up in Pioneer. Sixth mm -hmm. place is Rakdos Midrange. This one is playing Shielded, two copies of the deck, and it plays mm -hmm. three Liliana of the Vale. Um, we have one Eliminate deck, two mana instant that destroys a creature or planeswalker with mana value three or less. I guess that can kill your opponent's Liliana of the Veil. Vale. Also just kill almost anything in the mirror match. Uh, this card is interesting to see in this deck because you could be playing something like Heartless Act, but Eliminate does deal with things with plus one, plus one counters on it, like in humans and things like that. Maybe maybe even like a plus one, plus one counter from Kumana Faces Kakazan in Mono Red. You can kill something like that as well that maybe Heartless Act would not be able to kill. So speaking to the Rakdos aficionado, Michael Kritz, what do you think about this build looking <laughs> I like the one of Eliminate. Uh, I think depending on what the format looks like, like the one of Eliminate looks good if you're going against other Liliana. Like the Planeswalker parts, what makes it super relevant. Like, yeah, you're you're tagging most uh, three mana or less creatures, which is really pretty relevant in um, Pioneer right now. A lot of the, the big things you want to be doing is around that and that around that mana range, and and so does uh, the Planeswalker. So. I, I think that was a, a careful made decision and probably correct one that helped them get to sixth place. I really enjoy the Shieldred. Uh, we spoke, I don't know if we spoke about this uh, live on the podcast, but um, I really like Shieldred as a card. Um, I think it gives the Rakdos deck a little bit more um, inevitability because I feel like normally my weakness that I feel like I have in Rakdos all the time is you can't stop your opponent's top decks. Um, and sometimes games drag out and you're just top deck war, so like at least Shieldred makes it painful for them. I still don't agree with the Liliana of the Veils. I don't know how to kind of really make that deck feel like it, or make that Planeswalker feel like it's having good deck cohesion with the rest of the deck, but apparently people are jamming it and having uh, success, so I'm still keeping my eye on Liliana of like trying to get a good feel. If it feels right, at right now I'm not quite convinced. So that's that's how I feel about uh, most of this. And it looks like they have Reckoner Bankbuster in the sideboard, which is really interesting. I, I I'm just looking at this right now, and I don't know how to kind of process what what made them have that decision. So that's that's my takes. Yeah, to me these Rakdos lists stand out because of what's not in them. Uh, none of these Rakdos lists in this challenge, flipping through them, have any copies of Chandra Four Torch of Defiance. Um, it looks like Shieldred has like just taken her place altogether. I have the two damage from in your opponent's draw step replacing the two damage from Chandra's uptick, I guess. Uh, but it's really surprising to me that Chandra's not there. Yeah, I was playing. I was playing uh, Chandra one copy, and Chandra was Chandra. I keep saying Chandra. Chandra was absolutely broken for me. It's a removal spell. It's card advantage, inevitability. Um, the only thing Shieldred doesn't have that same vein is the card advantage part. It is a huge creature, 4-5, and does provide inevitability. Um, but like a tiny bit easier to remove in general, I think, with, you can't Fatal Push a Chandra. But I think this deck is going more towards black mana with uh, the mana base, and the double red is a little bit harder if you are going towards black with putting 18 to 19 black sources in the deck in order to cast Liliana of the Veil, since that is a double black three mana creature. You don't want to lean towards having double black instead of double red. You don't want any opportunity to cast Chandra that you can't cast Chandra, so maybe that is a consideration as well. Um, but Chandra was really good for me. I have not played with Shieldred yet in my Rakdos lists, but um, I'm definitely not going to fault someone for trying to play it, and it seems like it's been doing pretty well. 
Well, here there is a notable thing that I'm seeing here, which is a copy of Witch's Vengeance sideboard, and four copies of Extinction Event. In um, Extinction Event is a card that I almost always want to draw against anything that's going to you know, put anything on the board, whether it's mono white humans, mono red, bants, bant spirits. Since there's like almost a, there's like a billion three drops in that deck, there's a billion three drops in the mirror match too. Sanction event, you you kind of bait your opponent into playing like a couple grave, graveyard trespassers. You kill their one two drop and then you extinction event. I've I done that a couple of times in the match and it is amazing. It just game. There's just so many applications to this card. Not only that, but against mono green, every single card in their deck is odd mana outside of maybe a token or two that they would make, but that's probably not the case. You can get you the one thing that that stops you with playing Rakdos against mono green is the Old Growth Troll, and the Cavalier of Thorns. And if you can get rid of those, you can attack their Planeswalkers down, but a lot of the time you can't because they are huge creatures that also get extra value when you kill them, and Extinction Event is very, very important in that matchup. Also just a very good card all the way around. One thing that's also not played in this deck, speaking of things that aren't played, is Kalidus. Not played in the main deck. There's only one of in the sideboard. So that's it seems like Shieldred in this list, at least specifically this one, Shieldred has taken the place of Chandra Torture Defiance, Soren the Mirthless. Yeah, the control player on me is hung up on your discussion of board wipes in the sideboard. Not only is Extinction Event in the sideboard, but there are four copies of it. That's mm -hmm. I don't know that I've seen four copies of a board, a particular board wipe in the sideboard of a deck that is not running any board wipes in the main. And you also have Witch's Vengeance on top of that. So, like, what does that say about how hard the matchup is against Mono Green otherwise? Oh, it says a lot. The Mono Green is very, very difficult for Rakdos. Not impossible, but you do need a lot of Exile removal, and you do need to get rid of Old Growth Troll and and uh, Cavalier Thorns in the game at all. Uh, and you never want to kill it, because you kill Cavalier Thorns with a Dreadbore or whatever, because like, you feel like you have to. And they put a Storm of the Festival from their graveyard back on top and cast it again and, and again, so... It's just a losing, it's a lose-lose proposition if you can't actually exile. Yeah, Extinction Event, like, if it were good against the field, it would be in the main deck. This player has decided that they need it for against one specific deck. That's pretty. That's a pretty big concession. I, I, I actually don't think it's for one specific deck. Uh, you, want it, you want it for Mono Red anyway. You want it for Mono White Humans anyway. One of the problems with one of the problems with running so much one-for-one -one removal in Rakdos is that you actually have a hard time dealing with, with decks that go really wide. And especially decks that play a lot of one drops, because you don't play that many removal spells. I mean, you play a lot of removal spells, not enough to kill most of the creatures that the mo that mono red or mono white or green white or whatever is going to play. So you need something that's going to gain you back the card advantage when they go super wide. Humans decks are starting to play wedding announcement and things like that to go wider against Rakdos because it is a problem for Rakdos. So. Um, that extinction event is a way to mitigate a dex going wide against it as well. So um, I think it's really smart to play at least two copies, but four worked very well in this tournament for that Rakdos. Yeah, wedding announcement is uh, the answer to the question that I didn't get to ask, which is why Witch's Vengeance? Because Witch's Vengeance is only really good against the tribal decks, creature-based decks that um, Rakdos seem to me to already be good against. But wedding announcement's a pretty good reason to bring it in, I would think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, moving over to the next Pioneer deck, we're going to get to Standard in just a few minutes. If you are here for Standard, stick along. Um, but we are going to talk about Arclight Phoenix now. This one actually made 7th place in this tournament. 
It's playing a, a card that I haven't seen in this deck before. It just came out, but it's called Founding the Third Path. It's a two-mana enchantment that has that says read ahead. The first one is you may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value one or two from your hand without paying its mana cost. Second one is target player mills four cards. So it does mill you your Arclight Phoenixes. And then the third one is exile target instant or sorcery from your graveyard. You may uh, copy it. You may cast the copy. So not only is it like a, a pretty bad version of you know, Snapcaster Mage, uh, but it can also just do a whole bunch of other things for you. Later on in the game, it does cast whatever you want to cast in your graveyard, whether that's a Temporal Trespass or a Treasure Cruise or pieces of the puzzle. It lets you rebuy some of those and also just lets you, uh, you... Almost almost the first time you play it is almost for free, right? Two mana, and then the first one is you can cast an instant sorcery spell from your hand that's mana value one or two that you were probably going to play anyway, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think about yeah. this list of Arclight Phoenix? There's more than one copy. Sorry, I just saw like roast. I'm like, what the <laughs> heck is this card? There is a roast in here. Roast deals five damage to target creature without fly. Okay, 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 okay. That's the first time I've ever heard of roast. Um, no, I, I think um, this is really interesting uh, with the founding of the third path. And I, you can, I guess, you can also. It's like a cheaper galvanic if you don't want to pay. Yeah, you can galvanic off of that founding, so that works too. Um, which is actually really, like a really cool thing. I think founding the third path is an interesting way to think about value in your deck. It, it, like even from just a, a magic standpoint of you can cast a one or two mana uh, thing from your hand uh, without paying its mana cost. I think that really just like it's it's hard to evaluate the value that that, that can kind of bring. And then as well as you know the the later clauses that or later chapters that happen there. So. I think that's really cool, and I think it's awesome with um, Young Pyromancer works well with that. Um, yeah, I just think this, this list is kind of really interesting, uh, uh, the way it's built, and it's kind of a little bit... It's thought. I think it's thoughtful for sure. I don't think this was just like, I'm going to test some cards out and experiment here. It, it feels like they have probably put enough reps and time to just really figure out the numbers in this deck, um, because, you know, Arclight Phoenix deck is is, is something... You really need to get those three spells off and need to get the birds into the graveyard. So um, I don't think it's kind of an accident that it made its way all the way to seventh place. Yeah, you were talking about how they came to like very specific numbers in this deck list. And the one that jumps out to me is that they came to four young pyromancers in the main. Um, mm-hmm. This is a very aggressive Arclight Phoenix deck. This isn't like sit back and just eventually overwhelm your opponent by bringing the Phoenixes back over and over again. This is like get Peasy down onto, make a big wide board state, force your opponent to deal with that, and then bring back the Phoenixes to finish them off. Yeah, I think four young Pyromancer, that's what I, I thank you for going over that because I was going to mention that as well. Four young Pyromancer, it really just seems like Arclight Phoenix is the backup plan that also wins them the game whenever that's necessary. But Young Pyromancer is also the win. So I feel like this is less all-in on the graveyard, and I think you have to be in a format with Graveyard Trespasser in every single black deck, right? Um, graveyard Trespasser is so good against Arcanix that you just need another way to win the game. And also in game one especially, you want the Young Pyromancers in against Rakdos midrange. Probably one of your worst matchups, right? You want the Young Pyromancers in because, like I already said before, one of Rakdos Midrange's problems is a bunch of 1-1s. Uh, it's really difficult, especially in the main deck, for Rakdos to deal with eight 1-1s attacking. 
um, and also having to deal with the Phoenixes and also having to deal with the treasure cruises and going on. So a lot of card advantage in here and also just a lot of ways to win. And I think that gives this deck the edge to be pretty good against almost any matchup. I, I still think it's an underdog, uh, no pun intended, with against Rakdos, but I think, I think Young Pyromancer uh, makes it a little bit easier against uh, Rakdos. There is another... Uh, I want to talk about a little bit about Roast, and I think that's a concession for Shieldred. I don't think this deck actually can answer Shieldred reliably at all, outside of having a card that deals 5 damage, and Roast does that with one card. Whether, that's, whether that is a concession for Shieldred or not, because you also have a lot of copies of Lightning Axe that also does mm -hmm. 5 damage. Mm -hmm. So there's just... Maybe that's just an extra way to deal five damage. I really like now that you brought that up that lightning axe and founding of the third path really work well together because like you're yeah you're discarding something and you can lightning axe with uh founding of the third path without having to pay that thing and still do five damage and then you can like the thing that you discard with lightning axe if you do that at like the second chapter or something. Um, yeah, it's actually you know. true, right? If you do the first yeah. first chapter founding the third path, you don't actually have to discard a card. To cast mm -hmm. lightning at no, no you, do, you, you do. I you, don't think true. Is that not true? You, you do. You to... I, I don't think so. I, I, you can call a judge, but I, I I'm pretty sure that you do need to pay the additional cost because it says you may cast the copy, and then as an additional cost to cast that copy, you have mind. to discard or pay the extra five. Well, never mind. We're wrong. It's okay. I think I it think still has good right. synergy. It's still synergistic. Okay, yeah. you can give us a concession to that, you listeners that are watching on YouTube or listening on podcast. I. I, I should know what I'm talking about with this, but listen to Airball over listening to me, okay? Um, but anyways, that's, that's this, deck is, life advice. this deck is super spicy. Hey, I see what you did there. Uh, this deck is super spicy. Try it out if you like Phoenix. Try out Founding the Third Path. Let us know how it goes. We're, we're going to go over to the 8th place deck list, and then we'll go over to, over to the standard tournament that we're going to talk about today. But the 8th place is, we're not even going to talk about it. It's Mono Green again. We've already talked about it. It's pass. Nick Thos. It's Storm pass. the Festival. A hard pass. Hard pass. pass. You know what this deck does already. Is there anything spicy in the sideboard? I don't even know. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm not. I'm not shaming they Mono have, Green. I'm not shaming Mono Green here. at all. Shame, I'm not shaming Mono Green or anything. We talked about this deck enough. There's only so many times you can in Pioneer you can talk about Mono Green. Yeah. There's nope, just looks, nothing in this like deck that's green. different. There's one portable hole in the sideboard that maybe. Okay, wow. I talked about portable hole. There you go. I talked about it. Cool. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. There's there's some ninth place and tenth. Place decks too. There's another Arco Phoenix. There's another Rakdos. There's, mm -hmm. the, but it's basically the same things, same decks that we just talked about. Um, but there is what we are a little bit of a takeaway from these decks. By far the spiciest one is Enigmatic Incarnation, and you best believe I'm going to be playing that in the near. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to standard standard tournament that we're going to talk about today. Consists of 32 players, four, four rounds should have been five, but it was for the top eight. Is number one, Rakdos Midrange, followed by Mono Blue Tempo, Azorius Control, there we go, Esper Midrange, Bant Reanimator, Grixis Midrange, Bant Festival, and Esper Midrange. So we've seen a little bit of a contrast of Mono Black from last week and different black based midrange decks. Of course, there are still some in this top eight, but not as saturated with black based midrange decks as we're used to. Maybe some green, white, and Bant decks are catching on in standard. Um, what can you tell us, Airball, I'll start with you, about this Bant Reanimator deck and the Bant Festival deck that we saw in the top 8 of this tournament? 
Yeah, so I think people have finally started to get tired of black-based decks in Standard. Um, so the first thing i got to point out about this tournament, though, is that it's pretty small. Um, it was free-to-play, and the it, people maybe, have, maybe were more focused on playing decks that were fun than decks that they thought were good. That said, um, this Bant list is especially good against Rakdos. So uh, we have a Bant Reanimator deck that is not running black, refreshingly. Uh, it's running four copies of Invoke Justice, so um, a pretty heavy commitment to white for a three-color deck. But what you get for it is pretty impressive. You get four copies of Titan of Industry that you can reanimate with Invoke Justice that can often just win the game on the spot. Four copies of Sanctuary Warden, which is a deck, which is a card that I've been really impressed with in this archetype in particular, because even if the opponent can deal with your graveyard, this is a perfectly reasonable card to just cast from your hand, and it's often, with the shield counters on it, very difficult for the opponent to deal with. Um, we also have, like... Um, an interesting like enchantment sub theme to the deck. We have four copies of Wedding Announcement. Uh, we have uh, four copies of Spirited Companion, um, and we also have three copies of uh, Shauna Purifying Blade as well uh, for card advantage and like recurring value on the board. That Rakdos is not traditionally very good at dealing with. Um, I think this deck is pretty cool. Uh, I really uh, I'm interested in trying it, but most for the most part, the cores does seem to be the Invoke Justice, Sanctuary Ward, and Titan of Industry stuff we've seen in the past. I think that's it is kind running of... 61 cards. I is see. it playing 61 cards? It's playing Let's 61. Go. It's got the old 61 cards. That is how you know they're next level. What, what do we think was the card that was really hard for them to remove to go down to 60? That's that's the real question, I think. When you're like, I've been to the 61 zone, and it's just like, what do I remove the, in this person? The fourth Lagrella like... the Magpie had yeah, to be. Three just wasn't enough. You, you have to go four. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah for lagrella they were really hovering over that arena button they're like mm, i can't do it submit deck <laughs> yeah the two yeah, anti two bent decks here. here yeah two bent decks in the top eight there's another bent deck that played storm the festival and this is more of a tokens style deck i should say as well it's playing species of the kirin it's playing Gallagreeders. it's playing four copies of sarah paragon root coil creeper a little bit of ramp involved here. It's got Workshop Warchief, King Darien, the XLV, L3, whatever that Roman numeral is, um, Aether Chandler, Shauna, AO, Spirited Companion, a lot of one-ofs. There's Undercover Operative in here, Four Storm the Festival, Two Wedding Announcement. There's a there's a Tamiyo Completed Sage, there's a Wandering Emperor, mm -hmm. there's an Elspeth Resplendent. There are a ton of one-ofs in this deck, and it's... Uh, Basically just a big festival of a deck. You open your seven-card hand to start the game, and you have no clue what's going to be in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. This isn't like another toolbox deck in the style of the <laughs> Enigmatic Incarnation list. Look, with all these one-ofs, uh, if you don't draw Storm the Festival, then this deck is going to be super inconsistent, isn't it? That's be that's they, they made it this far in the tournament because they drew Storm the Festival. Hmm. Yeah. This checks out. <laughs> and one day you won't, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that day doesn't matter. This day they got seventh place in the tournament. Right. You know, sometimes <laughs> you feel it. Sometimes you just run hot and your deck just like, people are like, man, deck busted. And then they just play and they're like, deck not busted. <laughs> I mean, Sarah Paragon does cast almost everything in this deck back from the graveyard. Yeah. That's another thing. There's, a, there's so much value. You can, whatever spell you draw, whether whatever four or five mana spell in this deck that you happen to draw, because you probably don't know which one you're drawing. Uh, you're probably going to be able to cast it ahead of schedule with Gallic Readers, Root Coil Creeper, and Lenore Lone Speaker. There's two copies of Erborg... I can't say this name. <laughs> Erborg Lurgoyf, 
I cannot go. say that name two times fast. I can't even say it one time fast to save my life. No, I no. have to think I about say, how, bless you. I have to. <laughs> I have to think for so long just to say this name. But in general, I do think this style of deck, regardless of of what you're playing, as long as the card that you're playing is powerful, and there are a lot of powerful cards in this deck, but this style of deck will be doing really good against the black based mid range decks. You'll go way over the top of them. All, all of their one-for-one one removal is going to hit a Workshop Warchief that will give you a 4-4. It'll hit an AO that'll get you other things out of the deck. It'll hit a Spirited Companion that already drew you a card. Um, Sarah Paragon, if you remove it, it probably already cast something out of the graveyard. There's just a lot of value, and it seems like a two-for-one party. Yeah, it's like the defensive two-for-one, which, like, Rakdos or any black base deck is not a fan of, of, like... Well, you know, I'm one for winning you, and then you're like, well, I have like a defensive two for one. So, like, yeah, you can do whatever you want and interact with me, but it's just not going to be efficient for you. So, right. And of course, there's your, your suspects, Rakdos mid range, uh, Esper mid range, another Esper mid range, and a Grixis mid range in this top cut. Uh, it wouldn't be a standard top cut right now if it didn't include black based mid range decks, but mm-hmm. there, we, we wouldn't be able to get past this section of standard without talking about the two decks that are left here in the top eight mono blue tempo and airball's favorite azorius control mono blue tempo mm-hmm. first because this one went undefeated as well they delver of secrets deck when was the last time delver of secrets went undefeated in standard airball i don't know but this time it did uh it has telerian terror in the deck and ledger shredder as the only creatures and telerian terror is a card that is similar to a What's the card in modern that is a the the I believe it has flying that for every incident sorcery in your graveyard it costs one. Oh, it's some Merktide Regent. There's a Merktide Regent, but it's a little bit yeah. worse, and it's in standard Telerian Terror, and that's the only creatures in the. There's 27 spells. If first you probably have to if you're playing Delver of Secrets, three Thirst for Discovery, four Spell Pierce, in the main deck, four yeah. Slip Out the Back, four Make Disappear, four Fading Hope. Four essence capture and four considers with twenty one land. If this isn't mono blue deck to play, there's also no three mana mono blue card. The three mana the three mana X three flyer that makes all of your spells cost one less. Uh, that's not in this deck. Maybe you don't mm-hmm. need it, and you can just go four Delaro Secrets, four Ledger Shredder, and four Telerian Terrors. I feel like just how this deck is built. I feel like. Definitely a Merktide player, like put this <laughs> together. Um, they played modern. Yeah, they yeah they're definitely a modern gamers because like just how this is built, it's it's very the flavor of it. Like I I can just like you know I can taste what they they tried to kind of chef up here, and so I think this works really well. Like works well with Ledger Shredder, works well with Talarian Terror, it works well with Delver Secrets. It's like basically what you have for like modern Murktide. Delver Secrets is your Dragon's Rage Chandler. Ledger Shredder is just Ledger Shredder. And then you have Talarian Terror as your Murktide. And then you have all these things that like can trip a whole bunch, but, and then you have all these one mana interactions and you just, it's, it feels like it can be very consistent. It's not like the, the creatures are powerful, but the spells are not, but because it allows you to have so much deck velocity and then um, maybe you have such good early game interactions. You can, 
you know, use that to snowball and win the rest of the game and your opponent just can't really have anything that sticks. So you finish the game out with Talarian Terror and, and Ledger Shredder. So I, I really actually like what's going on here. I hate that I've become a is it player in modern. I, I just hate it. I play Murktide now, a Murktide gamer, and I hate that I don't play black, but like I'm getting a sense of like strong Murktide vibes of interact early, interact often, and have your creatures, you know, out um perform their creatures just because they've they came early and have high value as the game goes on. Yeah, this deck is pretty interesting. The Delver lists obviously got seriously hurt by losing the uh the modal lands from Zendikar. Um having twenty islands in your deck that don't flip Delver hurts a lot. Uh, there's also this tension in the deck with Ledger Shredder versus Counterspells. Like, Ledger Shredder is obviously just a heroic card, but there's a lot of times in this deck where you're going to want to hold up your Slip Out the Back, your Fading Hope, or uh, your uh, Fading Hopes, your Essence Captures, um, your Spell Pierces, and you're not going to be pumping your Ledger Shredder yourself. And a savvy opponent will not put you in a position where your Ledger Shredder grows. So you can end up in this weird spot where you where you want to protect your Ledger Shredder, but unless you do something, it's not even really worth protecting. So it's interesting, but a good pilot, I think, can do well with it. Yeah, I think that's what we saw here. This person definitely knows what they're doing with Mono Blue Tempo, and we definitely know for sure that their Devilish Secrets flipped. <laughs> At some point yeah. in this tournament, their Devil Secrets actually flipped. So congratulations to this person that flipped their Delvers, because I definitely can't with mine. Let's talk about Azorius Control. This one got third place. It is playing, wait for it, Tezzeret, Betrayer of Flesh, The Fairy Who Slows the Sunset, and Karn Living Legacy. This is the first time I've seen this card in the top eight, and it's here. It's Karn Living Legacy. Everyone thinks this it's card is Karn. bad. But Karn is here in third place. Uh, there's 25 spells in this deck. Four Wash Away, which is the uh, counter spell that everyone thinks is playable in, in Commander. Uh, there's Wash Away there. It's a three-mana cancel, but it also costs one less if your opponent cast a spell from another area other than their hand. It's interesting. And then we have four March of Otherworldly Light, four Fateful Absence, three Disruption Protocol, four Depopulate, four Memory Deluge, and two Farewell. And it has four copies of Leyline Binding as a two to three or four mana uh, flash enchantment that exiles. I'm not sure how big it can get in this deck. Well, let's check out the mana base. There's four Rafine's Tower and four Spara's Headquarters in, in this blue-white control deck to get the black mana off Rafine's Tower and the green mana from Spara's Headquarters to turn Leyline Binding on as early as... There's no red, right? But as early as turn three, you can get Leyline Binding off. If, I'm, if my math is correct. There's two Odawara Soaring Cities, two Igonjo Seed of the Empires, and the rest are just uh, white-blue uh, lands. I'm going to let you talk about this airball first, because you're probably excited to talk about this deck, but go ahead and talk about Azorius. Yeah, this hurts me to say, but this deck is bad. <laughs> like, the, the, the first thing to point out is that there is no sideboard. Um, literally, they just sleeved up 60 cards uh, and... Uh, and just ran that to a 3-2 and two finish, which I guess is pretty impressive, but uh, I, I think you probably lose some value not having the sideboard available to you. It was 3-1, it was, uh, was um, right, for third place? 3-2 and two is what uh, Melee is telling me. Oh, that's interesting, because it doesn't tell me that. All right, it's telling me 3-1, and one, telling you 3-2, and two. okay. Uh, anyway, 
Go, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you probably so just like lost in the top eight. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's probably it, actually. Uh, they probably went four rounds and they lost in top eight. Um, but yeah, no sideboard, obviously. Um, it makes me not want to talk about the deck much anymore. I will point out that um, <laughs> in addition, they're playing two copies of Tezzeret with n- no actual artifact spells. Um, so <laughs> the, the, the plus is always, always going to discard a card which is awful. The minus on Tezzeret is never going to do anything because the only artifact generators in the deck are um, Karn, um, which, even though it's apparently the centerpiece of the deck, uh, is a two of. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Fateful Absence, where you'd have to target your own creature. Um, and because you're never going to have these artifacts in play, Disruption Protocol also seems truly terrible. Um like it's basically just cancel at that point. Uh, I, I think this deck is terrible. I, I think it has no redeeming features. It's it's just board wipe tribal. We've uh, we've, um, we've 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 upset you, Irmal. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> I, I can't come up with a good thing to say about this deck, which I never thought I would say for a blue white control deck. <laughs> that actually did well, right? This didn't this didn't uh, scrub yeah. out of the tournament or anything. No, it, it frustrates the hell out of me that I uh, that I will play a blue-white control deck and scrub out and miss some of top eights. <laughs> Let alone third after Swiss. Yeah. Um, the I was I was going to look at the bright side, okay, but their airball just saw no bright side at all. No. <laughs> it's just the dark side. I, yeah. I guess that's fitting for the name of the episode. Uh, what do you what do you what do you think, Michael? I mean, if airballs off it, I'm way more off it. Like, and it's 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 blue white. Like, yeah, no shot. And there's like, yeah, exactly. I was like, I was making a whole bunch of faces here because I, you know, before while airball was talking, I was like trying to look like where are the artifacts in the deck until you know I forgot that Karn actually makes the artifacts, and uh, and then also I did was I did clue myself onto faithful absence, but on your own creatures, but your own creatures were probably made via you know, uh, Tezzeret doing its thing and then you have to kill it. And then it, <laughs> I don't know how this deck function. I, I, you know, watching it, it Maybe. Just, you know, your, your opponent, I mean, but airball, I guess your opponent does concede because you haven't attacked them. Like, I don't imagine attacking. <laughs> They've just got board wiped into oblivion. Like their soul <laughs> is clean from the board wipes. Like they just have <laughs> nothing to give and offer. And so they just concede because I don't yeah, see how else this deck wins. Like it's just on we as a win con. See, yeah. it's, see, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, the win condition is board wipe your opponent to the point where their soul is frying. And then have a couple of planeswalkers on the board that are accruing the littlest amount of value possible, if any. And then your opponent looks at them and like, and says, "I can't believe I'm losing to Karn, Living Legacy, and Tezzeret on the board, do both doing nothing anyway." And then concede. Yeah, the real victory is making your opponent quit Magic, not just the game. <laughs> yeah, like they, you put them in so much of a bind that, like, I feel like this deck could easily deck itself out and do nothing to your, <laughs> like, and you just lose. Uh, but like, you just made someone so miserable. They're just like, I really can't, I can't continue this. For <laughs> they they your activate whole deck. their third memory delusion game, but searching nothing both times, and then your opponent's like, wait, how many memory delusions have they cast? All right, I'm done here. Yeah, done. I mean, that's how I feel like anyway when I'm losing to regular blue-eyed control in Pioneer and things like that, but uh, at, at least you cast a fairy hero of Dominaria or Wandering Emperor or something and actually start the game. But um, this is already controlled. Okay, we're, we're dogging on it too much, okay? This person has a family. 
This person has a Magic the Gathering Arena account, okay? They put this deck together and got third place in this tournament, and regardless of whether they're playing a sideboard or not, okay, they did something good here, and doing what this deck is supposed to be doing and making your opponent concede. That is a win. You're incorrect. This person who plays like this does not have family. <laughs> that that will own them. They've been disowned. Oh, no. They, oh, no. They've board wiped their family. Can we just, okay. Oh, my goodness. Is this podcast episode sponsored still? Um. I hope so. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. And we are going to wrap up today's episode. We're talking about the deck that we would play this week, whether it's Standard or Pioneer or both. We'll give a little bit of a reason why, very briefly. We'll start with Airball, go to Michael Kritz, and I'll talk about my own deck that I would play this week. What would you play this week, Airball? Bant Control, or Bant Midrange in Standard, has me pretty excited. I think that people are starting to realize the power of the green-white shells against the Rakdos decks, and I don't think the Rakdos players have picked up just how good it is against them. I think this is the time to play cards like Wedding Announcement, Grafted Identity, Elspeth, Ren and, Se Ren and Seven Storm the Festival, and take over the meta that way. Yeah, uh, for myself, I think if we're talking about standard, I would like to play Mono Blue Tempo. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Is It Merc uh, Is It Merc Tide lately, and even though I, you know, hate that I have conceded and, and played that deck, uh, I've been enjoying it nonetheless. And I think Mono Blue Tempo looks like it has a lot of the same flavor going on, and so uh, I've been liking a little Merc Tide spice up my life type of thing. And I would probably just try and uh, do some of this Mono Blue Tempo in standard. I'm going to be the person that continues to play black. I'm going to play Mardu midrange because I love Sarah Paragon and I love Fable of the Mirror Breaker. I love Blood Tithe Harvester and I want to play them all together. Give me some Wedding Announcement. Give me some Shieldred. Give me some Wandering Emperor. And then let's all bring some stuff back out of the graveyard. So going into standard, that's probably what I'm going to play. But I probably will also play that Bant midrange deck that Airball's talking about because it just looks super fun. I played it already uh, for my own personal YouTube channel and on Twitch, but... Uh, it was and it was super super fun. Grafted identity stealing your opponent's creatures so satisfying, especially when they can't out their own creatures and they lose to them. That's the reason. That's what I will be playing. That wraps up today's episode of Paint It Black. Thanks for hanging out. Feel free to subscribe to the channel if you are watching this on YouTube. If you're listening to this on a podcast, feel free to give us a follow. Follow us on Twitter as well at Nuts and Bolts Pod on Twitter. With that said, we'll see you next week, and we'll also see you in the top eight.